Uh, last uh, Sunday, we started this little series on integrity, just a couple messages. And so I thought tonight, last week, uh, Sunday, we looked at Psalm 112. <clears throat> and tonight, we're going to look at Psalm 119. Not the whole psalm, obviously, just the first eight verses. And so I'm just going to read it for us, and then we'll get into our um, discussion time together. Um, psalm 119, beginning in verse 1, it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules and I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is one of the longest uh, psalms and chapters in the Bible, actually, Psalm 119. And it's kind of interesting. It's pretty much in the, in the middle of the scriptures. But um, tonight we want to look at the process of the progress that we can make in our lives dealing with integrity. We, we talked a little bit about this on Sunday, but um, how do you do it? Do you, do you take your little test, <laughs> your little integrity test? Anybody take your integrity quiz assessment? So hopefully that put things in perspective for you. But um, we don't want to confuse integrity with uh, perfection, right? If you do that, you're going to be in a world of hurt because <laughs> you're never going to get it. And uh, just like you're not going to score 150 points on that assessment that we gave out on Sunday, uh, just like every running back doesn't run every um, kickoff return back for a touchdown or every baseball player doesn't get up and hit a home run every time. Um, it just doesn't happen that way. And so integrity the one thing we want to look at tonight is a process that happens in our lives. It's not a one-time deal. And in one sense, it's a very complicated process. And yet, because of the simple fact that it takes time, right, to uh, develop integrity consistently in every area of your life, I don't think anybody that could say, oh, I'm perfectly um, set as far as integrity goes in every possible area of my life. No, there's always areas in your life that you can work on integrity. And to be a person of integrity, you also have to develop not just integrity, but some basic essential qualities of the Christian life. And if you, if you had to boil those down, basically you could boil essential um, Christian qualities for Christian living down to two, two words, holiness, right, and wisdom. Holiness and wisdom. And, and those things don't come to us just overnight. Just like when you became a Christian, you weren't just, boom, perfect. Never sin again. No. It becomes more of a struggle, actually, when you become a Christian, because now you realize, whoa, I have the opportunity to do something right, <laughs> not just always something wrong. And so you, then you have to make that, that choice. And it takes time to, to kind of um, sort that out. And yet, at the same time, wisdom comes with what? Putting, 
putting what you learn as far as biblical principles into practice in your life over a period of time. And you, you do that over a period of time. And, and somebody said wisdom is applying the knowledge that you have. There's a lot of people um, that I know that can quote Bible verses till the cows come home. But you look at their life and their life's a mess. Well, how can that be? Because they're not applying what they know to be true. They're, they're just doing it rote. And, um, I mean, we're commanded to hide God's word in our heart and all that, but if it's just a mental exercise and there's the spiritual part of it's left out, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. Um, now, it does not return void, the, the Bible says, but, but that's if you're applying it. And that's what wisdom is, applying God's truth to our lives. So um, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to become consistent, especially in the area of integrity. Um, and yet, on the, other, on the other side of the issue, integrity is not just a complicated process, but it's, it's a very simple process. You can look at it this way. You know, if you want to become a person of integrity, you can start today. You don't have to wait and take a test and figure out everything. You, you can actually begin today to say, you know what, Lord, I, I want to increase my integrity in my life. You can start right now, right, right tonight. That's possible. All you need to do is, is start and, and take a step in the right direction. If, you, if you're willing to do that, eventually um, you're going to get to the point where you see your integrity index, your integrity factors go up in your life. And people will begin to, to see that. Um, so last week, we, last Sunday, we talked about where integrity begins. Remember, kind of integrity 101. And David said, blessed is the man who what? Do you remember? Who fears, right? Fears the Lord. And who what? Delights in his commands. Greatly delights in his commands. And we said those two things are basically essential to start this, this integrity uh, building in your life. And so today we want to look at this first step toward integrity and kind of examine it a little more closely. And so, uh, you know, as we, we read this Psalm 119, parts of it, I want to look at it and see how it relates. And so there's three things here, that three steps you might want to say, and this is kind of a simple overview for this study, but uh, three little steps that you have to do in order to move consistently in your life in the direction of, of building and having integrity in your life. Um, you know, if, I, I like it when there's, there's a process to something. You know, um, once in a while, the kids will, they, they build Legos. And, and so, you know, when I've built Legos with them, I like the way the Lego instructions are laid out. It's very clear. It's a process. You know, they don't just throw all the parts out and say, okay, here's the picture, make it, <laughs> right? I mean, and they have everything in bags, and the bags are numbered, and there's certain pieces that have to go in certain places. And so many times I've gotten through a build sometimes, and at the end I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't fitting. Why? You know, and it's usually my grandson will say, well, oh, you left this piece out way back here, so we've got to take it all apart and go back. Why? Because I interrupted the process. And so we have to make sure that we're moving in the right direction. So the, the first point there is there's only one foolproof way to develop integrity in your life. There's only one foolproof way. And, and it basically boils down to you have to decide once and for all what's going to be your standard. 
what are you going to define as your moral code? Um, in other words, what rules are you going to live by? Are you going to live by your own rules? Are you going to live by the world's uh, rules? Are you going to live by the church's rules? Are you going to live by the Lord's rules? His standard. Um, David tells us that a person who lives according to the law, not only are they blessed, but he says they consistently make good decisions. I mean, wouldn't you want to make more good decisions in your life? I mean, I know I would. I mean, I don't think there's anybody here tonight saying, no, I want to make bad decisions. I like making bad decisions. No, and look at what it says there in verse 3. It says they also are those who do no what? They do no wrong. They do no wrong. Um, And when you're not doing wrong things, what are you doing? You're making right decisions. That's how you could get to that. There's a book, I don't know if you've ever seen this book, it's called The Year of Biblical Living. And it's by a guy named Al Jacobs. And what this guy does, it's kind of an interesting book because it's based on the premise that he would live for a complete year, 365 days, according to the laws of the Bible, to the best of his ability. And that meant following all the dietary stuff. I think he's from a Jewish background. Uh, It meant not shaving his beard. It meant um, not mixing certain fabrics that the Bible says you shouldn't do. Silly things like that. Um, Or eating pork. um, Working on Saturday. But it also meant following other rules. Uh, Rules that are really the hardest ones to follow. Those those kind of rules that I just mentioned are, are pretty easy. But when it comes down to rules such concerning forgiveness, right, uh, mercy, compassion, generosity, honesty, fairness, all those things, and we, we spoke about some of those on Sunday, um, those are a little harder to follow. Uh, but what Mr. Jacobs did at the end of the year, he wrote a little uh, kind of a report on what happened, and, and he said, you know what, for the most part, my year went pretty well. I had a very good year. Because I was willing to apply what his interpretation of was of God's, God's rules, God's law. And his book became pretty popular, and so other people started looking at his book and saying, well, I can make a book. And so then you had all these books popping up, you know, a year for this, a year for that. Uh, one pastor wrote, a year of living like Jesus. And there's a couple other people that wrote some weird, weird books. But one of the weirdest books, I thought, was this guy, Ryan Bell, who was the Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And back in 2014, because of the other book that he had read, he decided to write a book entitled A Year Without God. A Year Without God. Now, get it, he's a pastor, right? And he also taught at a couple of Christian universities. (laughs) Um, And he announced that in 2014, he was going to live like an atheist. Kind of weird. He planned to blog about it, and you know, every step of the way, all this stuff. And he wrote right before the new year began, when he was a pastor. He wrote this. He says, "For the next 12 months, I will live as if there was no God. I will not pray. I will not read my Bible for inspiration." I will not refer to God as the cause of things or hope that God might intervene and change my own or someone else's circumstances. 
Now, this was all the way back in 2014. So I, I, I started kind of researching this guy a little bit, and I thought, I wonder where this guy's at today, <laughs> right? Um, not surprisingly, his announcement led to him being fired uh, from his university positions and I think from his church. Um, it had kind of stunt written all over it. You know, that's kind of what it did. He, it was a stunt. And he thought, well, you know what? I, I'm just going to kind of try to profit off this. Um, unfortunately, he kind of worked himself out of a job because nobody wanted anything to do with him. And, but guess who came to his rescue? The atheists. The Atheist Society started giving him money to support him because he had no means of support. <laughs> and so as the, the story went on, I mean, I can't imagine being able to go a day without God. Can you imagine a year? A year without believing that God is there for you, without relying on God and his assistance, assistance and help and wisdom, um, a year without enjoying his presence, um, especially a year without having to go to this book for guidance, right? But that's what he did. And, um, you know, I don't know about Pastor Bell, but, you know, I, I, I read the Bible a lot more than just for inspiration. That's what he, he said. I'm not going to read the Bible for inspiration. You know, when we read the Bible, we hopefully as believers, we read it for what? We read it for instruction, right? We read it for um, uh, just direction, for guidance. Why? Because we believe that that's what God gave it to us for. You know, you've heard the, the acronym for Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? And, and that's so important that we realize that. And it gives us direction. Why does it do that? Because it helps us define what is right and what is wrong. Um, and it helps us define what is important and what is not important. And I think when you have those parameters around your life, it makes living a little easier. And so the Bible gives us direction in a, in a big kind of big picture sense, right? And it helps us to shape our values. It helps us to uh, make sure we're, we're staying tried and true to what the Lord has called us to do. Um, but it also gives this direction in, a, in not just a big picture sense, but a little picture sense. And what do I mean by that? I mean day to day, the way you live your life. Hopefully, you gain insight, you gain instruction, you gain inspiration from God's Word as you're in it and you're studying it. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've been struggling with something and I turn to God's Word, either reading it or listening to it, something for comfort, for guidance. Lord, show me what to do in this. You know, I'm feeling this way and I know it's not right. I'm worrying about this. I know it's not right. Help me understand how to embrace this trial or this tribulation or, or whatever it might be. And it doesn't mean, you know, when we're, we're struggling and with a problem or facing a big decision or whatever, that we don't have to still make that decision. We do, but hopefully you're, you're gaining insight from principles that you know to be true in God's Word, um, either from maybe what you've memorized or from your Bible 
daily Bible study, reading, things like that. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just good to be able to turn to God's Word. Sometimes we need to um, uh, forgive people. Sometimes we need to, to distance ourselves from situations. Sometimes we need to listen to counsel. Sometimes we need to take steps, active steps, toward reconciliation. And on and on and on. And the Bible hopefully guides us and leads us through those steps because we believe it to be God's truth and it's, it's applicable to our lives. And so that's why we, you know, as a church, we want to encourage you to read your Bibles daily um, or listen to them daily, however you do it. But it's important to do that, to put God's Word in your heart. And if you spend time in God's Word day in and day out, eventually what's going to happen, that, that instruction you're receiving is going to help you make decisions that you're faced with, and it's going to help you deal with problems that pop up in your life, both big and small. It's just going to be a default go-to, you know. It, it's just, you know, it's kind of like when you get in your car, and, and you need to go somewhere, and you need directions. What do you do? You grab your iPhone, or you grab your phone, and you, what do you do? You bring up the map thing, and you put in the GP. Why? Because it's so easy, and it makes sense. And you know you're not going to get lost, hopefully, if it's telling you turn right, turn left, turn. I mean, you know, when, the, when I start, first started using Waze and these other map programs, I mean, it, it became such a habit. I'd get in the car, I'm going to Safeway. So, you know, why? You know, it's, it's less than a mile away, you know. It just becomes part of your life. And, you know, sometimes it helps you avoid traffic jams or whatever, but it, it just becomes integral to, to, to your life. And, and so that's what the Word of God should be to us. It becomes such a, a, a part of us that we couldn't imagine going a day without it. And not only that, you receive instruction, but you receive correction. Um, when you read the Bible. God corrects you. Um, and, you know, a lot of times before we can get settled into a bad habit or some kind of destructive life pattern that we, kind of a behavior that's maybe not honoring to the Lord, what happens when we are consistently reading the Bible? It points that out to us. You know, it says, hey, wait a minute. You know, you got this attitude with this person. You need to correct that. Or you, you're doing this and that's not right. And the Bible has a way God uses it for our correction. And the Bible will tell you. You know, it doesn't lie to us. It will tell you. Okay, you know what? You, you, you're, having, you're being very judgmental. Um, you're being very intolerant. You're being unfair. You're being lazy. You're being dishonest. You're being selfish. Whatever. The Bible will be able to share that with us. Because that's what God's Spirit does through the power of the Spirit and through the power of the Word. And the more of the time you spend in His Word the more you're going to understand, not just God, but you're going to understand yourself. And the more you understand what you need to change about yourself. That's why the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we know this verse, verse 16, all Scripture, right, is God-breathed. It's useful. Why is it useful? It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? Why is that important? So that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Remember, God has provided works for us to do beforehand. Right? He says, I've already prepared you know, a platter of good works that you can do as believers. But you know what? If you're not going to be equipped 
with the word of God, if it doesn't have that teaching and rebuking and correcting and training effect in your life for righteousness, what's going to happen? God's going to bring good works for you to do and you're not going to be able to do them. And I don't want to be in that position. I don't think you want to be either. And so here in Psalm 119, David talks about taking seriously the law of God. He talks about the statutes. He talks about the commandments, the precepts. I think uh, I think I heard this week. Um, I think it was this week. John MacArthur was talking about either a study he's going to be doing on Psalm 119 or whatever. But he said basically it's God's defense of His word. It's God saying, "Hey, this is what the word of God is." The whole whole Psalm of 119. We're just looking at the first eight verses. But how we should o- obey His word, how we should walk according to His ways, not our own. But then he uses this in verse two. He, he kind of pivots um, to the whole process. He says this. He says, Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with their whole heart or with all their heart. Um, this is what makes our time, honestly, in God's word so powerful. Because the whole time you are in God's word, what are you doing? You're, you're seeking God. You're, you're, you're actively seeking truth. And you know what? There's a lot of people that read the Bible for different reasons. And many of them have nothing to do with seeking God. You know, they're just fulfilling an obligation. They're going through a devotion book and they've got to check it, see what to do. And it just becomes this rote thing in their life. Um, some people read the Bible for ways that maybe they can get something from God. They think if I if somebody, there's some formula in there that make me rich or whatever, that's why they read it. Um, and that's all they see. Some people read the Bible looking for confirmation that they're right and everybody else is wrong. Um, some people read the Bible looking to support their ideology or their theology. And in this political viewpoint or that political viewpoint, um, some people read it just so they can argue doctrine with other Christians. And, and all those are missing the point. Now, you may benefit in a variety of ways when you read the Bible, but do you know what needs to drive your time in the Word of God every day? It's simply this. You have a divine opportunity to in- have an encounter with the God who created you when you open up his word, when you're willing to read his word, when you're willing to listen to his word, when you seek God through the pages of his scripture, his gift to us. You should not only learn about him, but you learn from him through the power of the spirit. He gives you direction. He gives you correction day after day after day. And see, if you want to live a life of integrity, You have to decide initially, okay, what am I going to build my life on? Am I going to build it on principles of the word, world? Am I going to build it on principles that I come up with, that I found in a book somewhere? Or am I going to build it on knowing my creator, my God, and knowing his word? That's a good place to start. Um, When I talk about seeking God, I mean specifically seeking to know Christ more. You know, a lot of us know Christ. A lot of us know God. A lot of us have put our faith in Christ. We, we're saved. 
okay, um, and we would say, yeah, I know God. And sometimes I think we treat it kind of like a very casual relationship. You know, sometimes we like to drop names, right? People like to drop names. Um, when I was in the desert, I drove a limo for, I don't know, about a year. And uh, my claim to fame was I took Congressman Sonny Bono from LAX to his house in, in Palm Springs. You know, so I could say, yeah, yeah, I, I knew when he was alive. I knew Sonny Bono. Well, I didn't know him. Matter of fact, I had the little, you know, privacy window down. I was all excited. I was praying, man, I just hope I can share the Lord with him. And, you know, as soon as first thing he did, I'm really tired. I'm like, do you mind if I put that window up? And he put it right up and we almost crashed because I was so tired driving all day. I almost killed Congressman Bono. <laughs> but um, we made it. But, you know, I, I don't know who he is. I didn't know who he was when he was alive. Um, I'd met him. And see, sometimes because we meet God and he saves us, we think, okay, well, I got the knowing God thing down. Well, we really don't. You know, just like when you get married, it takes years, right, to get to know each other. I mean, you know each other, but do you really know each other? No, my wife and I are still getting to know each other. And it's kind of interesting sometimes because you think you got it all figured out. And then it's like, where did that come from? (laughs) You know? Why are you doing this now? You know, on both sides, me as well as her. And you just get older and your life thinking changes or whatever. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's important that we, we, we seek Christ, we know him, and we learn to follow him. That's what the Christian life is based on. And, um, you know, we've all heard the horror stories down throughout history of, of religious people behaving badly, right? I mean, and I'm not talking about the Inquisition and all that stuff that happened, you know, Years and years ago, um, I'm talking about religious people here, even in the United States. Um, you see organizations, you see movements, you see churches, you see Christian leaders become disconnected from the message they're supposed to teach, the message of the gospel. They, come, they become disconnected, and they, they become disconnected be, behind, uh, from the ethics behind the message of Christ. And it's kind of like they take Jesus and they put him on the shelf and they come up with their own formula for um, Christianity. And um, a lot of times, you know, when they're called out or whatever, a lot of times, you know, religious people can be some of the worst people to vilify each other, you know, to attack each other. And uh, because if they don't agree with you, well, then they're wrong and you know, I got a corner on the truth and blah, 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 the story goes. Um, and when you compare their actions and their attitudes with what Jesus did and how Jesus lived, you can see there's something wrong here. They're claiming to be Christians, but they're living in ways that Christ would never honor. He would never say, yeah, you're going for it. Great job. And how does that divide happen? Um, I spoke to someone today and they were sharing some things with me, and they said, yeah, I just got to a point in my life where I couldn't believe, as a Christian, possessing the Holy Spirit, I was doing some of the things that I was doing. It was grieving the heart of God. And my heart had grown so callous, it's like I didn't even care. But that can happen very easily for anybody. And it occurs when you stop 
spending time in the Word, when you stop seeking God's truth, and you settle instead on just being religious, just coming to church on Sunday. If you want integrity like David, as we saw last week, Sunday in Psalm 112, um, he's saying what? Seek to encounter God in the pages of Scripture. And be ready. You know, roll up your sleeves and say, okay, God, I'm not just going to read it. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to do what it says, as hard as that may be. I'm not going to do it perfectly. Every time, none of us are, remember, integrity is not perfection. <laughs> okay, but we have to increase that, that, that ability. And it brings us to the second thing. Integrity is not just a, a um, snap of the fingers event. It's a process, right? Um, though the, the decision to pursue integrity can be made instantaneously, you can be here tonight saying, you know, I'm going to have more integrity in my life. I'm going to try to do this from here on. I'm going to ask God to do this in my life. Uh, but the ability to achieve integrity is a process. It's something, sometimes a very painful process. It's through the pain that we become pure. It's through the pain that we understand ourselves better. And in order to continue on that path of integrity, the second thing here is you have to be honest with yourself, brutally honest with yourself. And this is hard. Um, David says something in the psalm I never really noticed before. In verses 5 and 6, look at what he says. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes or your decrees. Verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commands. See, when you spend time in, in God's word, God continually, what's he do? He, he continues to reveal things from his word about you. I mean, you may be feeling pretty good about yourself, but you start reading God's word, and after a little bit of time, you start looking at your life, you start looking at your attitude, you start looking at your behavior, and you begin to realize, well, some things need to change here. I can't just close my eyes and pretend I don't have these attitudes or, or this behavior in my life. The word of God is pointing it out to me. So, you know, if there's conviction there, things need to change. So many people feel that conviction, but what do they do? They just, they, they turn a cold heart to it. They don't want to do it. They don't revisit that passage because oh, that pointed out some things in my life. I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, and sometimes those revelations that God shows us through his word can be painful because we don't like to look at ourselves in that fashion, in that way. You know, I mean, we want to think of ourselves as having integrity and think of ourselves as being spiritual and, and, and being good husbands and good wives and good people. But you know what? The, the fact of the matter is we're not that all the time. And when we're not, God's word points it out. He convicts us. And that can be painful. It can even be shameful sometimes. It's, it's not easy to admit your faults. And when the Holy Spirit shines his light into the darkest parts, the most secret parts of your existence, what does he do? He speaks to us about our behavior. He speaks to us about our thoughts. He speaks to us even about our motives, why we do the things we do. We may be doing good things, quote, for the Lord, but why are we doing them? See, God does just say, oh, oh, you're serving in the church? Great. You know, no, he says, why are you serving in the church? What's your motivation? And he shows us how the things we do sometimes potentially hurt other people, other people that he created. And potentially they hurt us as well. Um, they offend sometimes the things we do, a holy God. 
And when these sins are brought to our attention, we don't go, oh, wow, I'm feeling conviction. This is wonderful. God's showing all this stuff that I have in my life that's wrong. No, that's a hard thing to embrace that. But that's what we're called to do. And we often find ourselves saying, you know what, I'm put to shame when I consider God's word. And, and I, all I see is I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. I'm put to shame when I remember how hatefully I spoke to my spouse. Or I'm put to shame when I remember how disgracefully I behaved. I'm put to shame when I remember how I treated that other person that maybe I didn't agree with or whatever we got in an argument about. And so seeking God through the pages of Scripture can be a pain-provoking experience because it causes us to see things in ourselves that we don't like to see. But that's a good thing. That's why the Bible tells us over and over again that we should have a, a, a time. Um, we generally allow this to happen when we have communion, right? You have a time of kind of self-reflection. The Bible says that you should examine your own heart when we come together as the body of Christ. Um, many people, unfortunately, respond to what God shows them in different ways. Not everybody embraces it. Not everybody says, oh, wow, thank you, God, for pointing that out. I, I'm going to change. Uh, some people never even bother to look at God's Word in the first place. I mean, God is no part of their life. They don't want to they don't ask the Holy Spirit to examine their heart. They don't examine their own heart. They want to live like Socrates called the unexamined life. Just live and let live. Who cares? Um, they do whatever they want, whatever is most convenient, and whatever is least painful in the moment. Um, but that's the opposite of what Scripture tells us. We know Psalm 139, right? Psalm 139. I just want to read a couple of verses out of there because it's so, it's so, um, it speaks to this issue so, so vividly. Um, Psalm 139, he starts off in verse, verse 1. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Do you ever think about that? To me, that's a scary thought. <laughs> The idea that God's searching my heart, he's searching my motives, he's searching my mind. And not only that, but he knows me. To the utter extent. To the point where I sit down, he knows that, he knows when I rise up. He doesn't even have to be near me, he discerns my thoughts from afar. He knows what I'm thinking before I know what I'm thinking. That's kind of scary. Verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Not just the good ways, all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Sometimes, you know, the older you get and the longer you're married, you, you find yourselves almost finishing each other's sentences. You know, you start saying something, the other person finishes it because they know what you're going to say before you even say it. Uh, that's kind of the idea. They know you so well. God knows us so well. Um, before we ever even say anything, he knows it. Verse 5, he says, You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge 
In other words, the idea that you are, are, are this incredible God is just too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain to it. I can't do this. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. See, a lot of people think when they die without Christ, they go to a godless eternity. That's not true. They're very much in the presence of God, even in hell. They're in the presence of God's wrath for all eternity. We, we, we don't want to forget that. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I come to the conclusion, if I say, surely the darkness shall come, it shall cover me and the light about me be night. In other words, you're just you know like the guy in the Charlie Brown cartoon. You just got a black cloud over your head. It's just, it's just rain and darkness in your life. Even in the darkness, he says in verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. And he goes on in verse 13, he talks about forming the inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Talks about the sanctity of life. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, the world doesn't want you to think that. The world doesn't want you to think you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The world doesn't want you to think that you're a wonderful work of God. The world wants you to think that, oh no, you've got to fix yourself up. You know, So they put all this commercial garbage out there to make you feel less about yourself. So you'll buy all this stuff to make you feel better about yourself. I mean, there's nothing wrong with makeup, right? I mean, I like what, what um, Jay Burnham McGee said, you know? Ladies, if you need makeup, pile it on. But the thing is, you know what? Understand that God created you a certain way. And he did it in a wonderful way. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, in, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Once again, sanctity of life just screams from this psalm. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not, there was none of them. Think about that. God has allotted to you how many days you will have on this earth. It's already done. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you go out and eat 50 Big Macs every day and, <laughs> you know, clog your arteries and jump in front of a bus. But it, it does speak to the fact that, you know what, we all have an appointment with something called death. And whether it's from a virus, whether it's from a vaccine, whether it's from heart attack or whatever it's going to come and there's nothing nothing you're going to do to stop it i mean sometimes when you just accept the inevitable you're able to live a little bit while your while your life is still here i mean there are so many people today that are are so fearful of death 
thinking somehow they're going to cheat death. Somehow they're going to they're prevent death from happening. They're consumed with, with health and exercise. And yeah, we should take care of God's temple, granted. But, I mean, I'm talking to over the top, right? To the point where it almost becomes an idol in their life. And they think somehow they're going to prevent this day from happening. That's not true. We're all going to die one day. And God has allotted to us how many days we will have. It's appointed unto man what wants to die, then the judgment. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. I mean, the thoughts, the idea that God would just have one thought of me amazes me, right? I mean, you know, it's kind of like in Romans it says, you know, who am I, right? (laughs) That, That you should think of me. But he does. He does. He created you. He loves you. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you, he says. There's security in that position. Uh, verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And I do not loathe those who rise, and, and, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? You know, the one thing that, that probably, as I look at the modern day church today, is they don't understand that concept. They, you know, it's, it's just God is love, God is love, God is love. And so, therefore, if God is love, we just have to love, 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 love everybody. We can't tell anybody anything that would not speak love to them. But here he says, you know what, I'm going to hate those who hate you, God. Because the enemies of God are our enemies if we know God. If we are saved, the enemies of Christ are the enemies of us. And we have to be very careful that we're not embracing the enemy. You want to be gracious. You want to be loving with the message of the gospel. But at the same time, there comes a point in time where you say, no, no, I'm not going to allow you to behave that way. I'm not going to allow you to say those things about my God. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to say something about it. And if that offends you, too bad. Because you're offending my God. And, and, and I think the church really needs to grow a little boldness in that area. Because they, be, they, they basically invited the world into the church. That's what the whole user-friendly movement is. You know, under the guise of of evangelism. Well, we want people to come to Christ, so we're going to invite everybody into the church, and and when they get here, they're going to feel uncomfortable if we talk about the blood of Christ and sin and and, and wrongdoing. So we're just going to kind of make everything bland and have fancy music and light shows so they'll come back, so they'll be entertained. And maybe when they come back, the next time, and the next time, and the next time, and it gets bigger and bigger, and they, you create this monster that you have to feed. And they think they're doing the right thing, but it's obviously not, not working. I mean, I don't know if you remember Robert Schuller, the Crystal Cathedral, you remember that? I mean, when he left that church and 
I think his son took over. They had a worship group come in from Jack Hayford's church, church on the way down there. He's a charismatic guy, but he's a good pastor. His worship team, part of it anyway, showed up there and you know, I mean, they had a, a big production every week because they were on TV and whatever. All of a sudden, Robert Schuller is no longer there, so they had to keep this thing going. And so what did they do? They, they had to find somebody who's talented enough to, to do what they did on Sunday morning. So they had this huge choir and pipe or all this stuff. And when this worship team came from what would be not as a user-friendly church, but probably a more gospel-centered church, and they started working with, the choir, they realized right away that over half of the choir were practicing homosexuals. What do you do with that? I mean, you know, it's one thing if you've got a choir of 10 people, but when you've got a choir of 400 and you're on TV and, you know, that's what's expected. And they basically gave these, this, this worship team carte blanche and they said, well, you know what, you're going to have to sign these waivers to say you're not going to participate in that kind of behavior anymore if you're going to be part of the choir or part of the worship team. And over three-quarters of the choir left. They left the church. They were disgusted. How dare you call us out on this? And they were left with basically, you know, about ten people on stage. But you know what? It was pure worship. But what, what, what kind of church would allow that? A church that's trying to please everybody. A church that... It's just love, 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 love. They don't want to condemn anybody about anything. And that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're called at times to speak boldly the truth of God and, and let, the, you know, let, it, let it fall where it may. Let the conviction fall where it may. And so when, when people turn their hearts against God, we, we have to be a little bolder, I think, as believers to stand up and not just laugh along at the jokes, whatever they may be. Uh, and if they call you out on it, so so be it. Um, and then verse 23. I mean, this is the whole reason I turned to this psalm. But I just thought it was a good psalm to read. Psalm 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I mean, just that phrase alone is kind of scary. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Um, there's sometimes I don't want God to know my heart. <laughs> I'm ashamed at what he finds when he searches my heart. But he still does it. He says, try me and know my thoughts. In other words, you know what? I know that um, sometimes things we go through, um, trials, things like that, um, grow us in the Lord. And he's crying out. He says, try me and know my thoughts, man. No, no. No, I'm trying to do the right thing here. And see if there's any grievous way in me. See if there's anything wrong. What, what's that telling me? That's telling me sometimes we can look at our heart and we think everything's fine. And God's saying, no. No, it's far from fine. You're deceived. You don't even understand. You can't even look at your own heart with an honest opinion. Why? Because we're not willing to be honest with ourselves. We want to paint with a good brush and make ourselves look good, look spiritual, all these things. And so we should be doing this on a, on a daily basis. God, search my heart, know my heart, try my heart. And then he says, and lead me 
in the way everlasting. Well, another person not, does not ask God to, to do any of that, clearly. Um, but another person blames, basically puts the blame on everyone else for everything they do wrong. Have you ever done that? Come on. I've done it. Um, you know, when we first got married, you know, still a little anger problem, but I mean, it was more prevalent when we first got married. I've never been married before. I never lived with anybody. So it's like, wow, what, what is causing this anger issue in my life? Well, you know, I was very quick when we get in an argument or whatever to point my finger at my wife and say, well, you're the one. You're, you're the reason why I'm angry. <laughs> it made sense to me. <laughs> she didn't appreciate it. Uh, neither did the biblical counselor we went to see. But, you know, there comes a point in time when you just have to own it, right? You just have to own it. And, and, that's, and that's hard sometimes. But you know what? It's not, it's not, it's not right to, to blame other people for your bad behavior. I mean, it can't possibly be that I need to control my temper. I mean, that, that's not it, clearly. <laughs> you know, it's you. You're the one that's making me do this. Um, you need to stop making me angry all the time. You know, and that was kind of my go-to thing when we would get in an argument. And, you know, um, other people are quick to acknowledge the wrongdoing in a situation, right? They're quick to acknowledge it. But what do they, they follow it up with, what? Words of justification, <laughs> Right? Well, yeah, yeah, I did that, but you know what? Here, here, and, and they start to justify their sinful behavior. Um, you know, maybe I fudge on my expense account a little bit, but you know what? Look at what they're paying me. They're not paying me enough. Or, you know, I just have to do whatever I need to do. I mean, you, you can come up with any argument you want. But other people don't even try to justify their bad behavior. Um, they, just, they just run. They run from God. They run from God's word. And they understand, basically, that, that God's word is a moral code, um, and they can't live up to it, and so they just give up, and they run, and, and they quit, and they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with his word, and we've all run into people like that. Um, some people give up on Christianity altogether. Uh, others just give up on ever hoping to be holy, so they, they live a, a very sinful Christian life. And they just deal with it. They say, yeah, that's what I do. Um, and so you, you have to be careful about that attitude. Because those kind of attitudes will prevent you from becoming a person of integrity very quickly. Um, you can't be good until you allow God to deal with all of your heart, all these parts that God is revealing in us that are bad. Um, you can't become all that God wants you to become until you're willing to take a brutally honest look at your own self right now the way you are. And, and that's really why I gave you that little assessment on Sunday to kind of point you in that direction. Um, it confronts those, those areas of our lives that, that we have a hard time uh, dealing with. You know, you can, you can look at it and say, well, it wasn't my fault, and you can make up all these excuses, or you can just deal with it the way God wants us to deal with it. And how does he want us to deal with it? What, you know, when we're confronted with our sin, what does God say in his word? First John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, what does he say? He's faithful. He's just. 
and he will forgive us of our sins. And not only that, but he's going to purify us from all unrighteousness. So he doesn't just, you know, okay, if you confess your sin, and by the way, I've explained this before, but we say that if we confess our sins, right? And that word if in the original language can also be translated since. I think that's a better translation. Because for a Christian who's in sin, confession is not an option. But this verse, if you say if, it kind of makes it an option. Like, well, I don't have to do it. But no, since we confess our sins, why? Why would we do that? Why would we cop out to God when we do bad things? Because he's faithful, it says. And he's just. And he will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's, po- it's impossible to go into God's word day after day after day and not feel the convicting power of his word through the power of his Holy Spirit upon your life. It's impossible to go to God's word day after day and not be confronted with things in your life that need to be changed. And I'm a firm believer. That's why a lot of Christians don't read God's word. They're not in it daily because they don't, they don't want to be confronted. They don't want to be told what to do by God. They want to do their own thing. It doesn't always come easy, but you know what? You just have to get up time and time again. When you fall down, you get up and get up again. And every time you confess your sin, you can be sure that God is faithful to forgive. Because of who? Because of Christ. That's why he came. He came into this world to die for your sin, for my sin. And through him, we are forgiven. But that's not all. Through him, we have the power to become this person that God wants us to be to be a morally upright person, to be a person of integrity, to be a holy person. Um, And when you compare where you are today to where you ought to be, sometimes it can be frustrating. It can be very frustrating. It can be even downright discouraging, to be honest with you. But you know what? You can count on God's mercy, God's grace, to get us through it. And that's the last thing here. It's a never-ending process. This should make you happy. You're never going to completely be a person of integrity. It's a never-ending process. Just like your own sanctification in Christ is a never-ending process, this side of glory. You're never going to get to a point, this side of glory, where you say, okay, God is done with me. I am perfect now. I am the perfect Christian. I am the perfect Christ follower. I do everything, every day, all the time, for God's glory and his honor, and I never sin, I've arrived. There are people that teach that theology. It's a lie from the pit of hell. All you have to do is follow those people around for you know, an hour or so, and you'll realize real quick, well, wait a minute, you're not perfect. But this process is never ending. Not only our sanctification, but the, the process of integrity. We never really arrive completely. And in verse 7, he says, I will praise you with an upright heart as I, what's he say? Learn, learn your righteous laws, your righteous rules. When David says he will learn, he's not talking about learning multiplication tables, right? He's not talking about that. He's saying, I'm learning how to walk consistently in your ways every day of my life. And I love what he says next in verse 8. He says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. It's like he's saying, Lord, you know what? This may take a little longer than I originally thought, 
or that I originally projected because I am just a thick-headed, sinful person and I keep on falling into the same thing. I'm worse than I originally thought, God. I've got a long way to go. Longer than I, I ever realized. Don't give up on me. Don't forsake me. And what does God say to that? He tells us in Hebrews 13.5, right? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God understands us more than we will ever understand ourselves. And he understands that we're on this journey to become more like Christ. A journey to integrity. And it's, it's, it's important that we realize that we're sinful, we're selfish, we're rebellious toward God's at times toward God at times and you know what we have to turn to him in repentance over and over and over again and he forgives us and he 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 cleanses us through through the blood of Christ why because he saved us I mean I love the verse you know he who began a good work in you right he who began who who began it God what will happen he, he he's not going to forsake you he's going to complete it um, that's that's his goal. Uh, that's what he set out to do. He's going to make you like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will become more and more and more like Christ until we will be in his presence. And I think we need to be rem- reminded at times that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. And it's not a snap your fingers kind of a deal. It's a process. It's a lifelong process journey a lifelong process and there'll be times of frustration there'll be times of disappointment times when you don't understand your actions you don't understand the actions of other people around you you don't understand why god doesn't just change you all at once but you know what you you come back and you say god i'm still learning don't give up on me hebrews 10 22 says let us draw near to god with a sincere heart a pure heart a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence or with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know, if you were in Miami and you told me, you know what, I'm going to, I, I need to get to Seattle, Washington. That's kind of like polarized, you know, points in our country, right? That's a very long journey. Um, someone figured it out. If you walked 10 hours a day, it would take you about four months. If you walk 10 hours a day. It's a long journey. Um, and a long journey, guess what? It takes a long time to complete but how do you begin? How do you begin to walk from Miami to Seattle with one step? And you take another step and you just keep walking. All right? That's how it is with integrity. In regard to integrity, we often grade people pass or fail. And that's not always fair. That's not fair because we're all in the process of integrity. And we think, oh, either they, they have integrity or they don't. But I've never met anybody in my life that I could say, oh yeah, they completely have integrity mastered. No, there's always a chip in the armor somewhere. And I think everyone I've known who's been very satisfied and smug with their own integrity 
um, are usually that way because they're not grading themselves honestly in all areas. And so it's a process for all of us to go through and you know you just you just take it one step at a time. And I, I would just encourage you to, you know, stay in the word, continue to ask God to refine you, to help you become purer and more holy and, and to to change our, our broken heart <laughs> and uh, to make it what he wants it to be. Um, and if you do that every day, even when it hurts, even when you're discouraged, when you seek God through his word, then you can say with David there in verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. So hopefully that encourages you to stay in the word, to be in the word. I know many of you are already, but it's important to be reminded sometimes of things that we uh, grow, they grow common to us. You know, I don't want you to give up on yourself as you go through that process. Well, let's close in a word of prayer and then um, um, we can, uh, if you want to discuss any questions there, there's a couple there I just put down, but you can do whatever you want around your tables. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that um, you have saw fit to give us a personal copy of the Bible, your word. I mean, uh, what a blessing that is. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people in this world that don't have that. And yet we just take it for granted. Usually we have three or four or five, ten copies. Lord, we just don't give it the time that we need to in so many ways. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, be more students of your word and, and really desire to know you through your word. Lord, uh, we pray tonight for, um, I pray for Yvonne. I know she's um, recovering from the surgery she had and it's coming along. But Lord, I just pray for that process that you'll continue to nurture to full health and help her to regain her balance and the dizziness would go away and and father that she would be able to be back and um, fellowshipping here once again and thank you for those members of our body that are reaching out to her and encouraging her and i know it's just a limited few that can do that but i, I thank you for their faithfulness and in helping her through this time and lord we we think of others as well think of our missionaries that we pray for and we pray that you'll continue to um, supply the needs for them <coughs> and uh, help them to discern how to best serve you uh, on their foreign fields and that they would do so in a way that's honoring to you. And Lord, that you would use them greatly for, for your glory. And uh, Lord, we do uh, even commit uh, this, this coming Saturday night at dinner to you. And, and Lord, we pray for those that come, Father, that we would have a blessed time and, and Lord, that you would just bless the fellowship that we'll share as the body of Christ. And, and Father, for those that are inviting maybe family members that usually don't come to church or, or friends that don't come to church, I pray that they would, these people would feel welcome here and that we would go out of our way to, to um, just be, be generous with our time and our conversation with them as well. That they would uh, definitely sense uh, the presence of Christ here in this place on Saturday night. And so, Lord, we just commit the rest of the week to you, and we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen.